Hey everyone, it's Eves. Just wanted to let you know that you'll be hearing an episode from me and an episode from Tracy V. Wilson today. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class. It's July 15th. The Spanish Inquisition was disbanded on this day in history, and the year might actually surprise you. This was not in the 1500s, it was not in the 1600s, it was in 1834. So here are some of the highlights. Inquisitions actually started out as a judicial procedure during the medieval period. They were basically a method for religious leaders to try to seek out heresy. Pope Lucius III requested that his bishops do this in 1184 as one example. But eventually, inquisitions morphed from a process for seeking out heresy that one religious leader might uh, command other religious leaders to do into an institution. By the 15th century, what had just started out as sort of an, an inquiry process was an established bureaucracy. The Inquisition had its own rules, its own tribunals. And even though the Spanish Inquisition is probably the most famous one, there were inquisitions in other places as well, including Portugal, Venice, and Rome. It was the Roman Inquisition, for example, that investigated Galileo for heresy over whether the Earth orbits the sun. So when it comes to Spain, the Spanish Inquisition was the first to be formally established, and it was also the largest of all these various national inquisitions. Pope Sixtus IV established the Spanish Inquisition on November 1st, 1478, and he did that at the request of Ferdinand and Isabella, the rulers of Aragon and Castile. Their names may also be familiar from the stories of Christopher Columbus. So Ferdinand and Isabella were devoutly Catholic, and they wanted to make their combined territory into an explicitly Catholic nation. This meant ridding the kingdom of both Muslims and Jews. Spain had already conquered most of the Muslim territory through a series of violent conflicts that are now known as La Reconquista. And Spain's Jewish population had been facing huge persecution for years and tremendous pressure to convert to Catholicism. Sometimes this was not even really a choice. There was a series of pogroms in the late 14th century that ordered Jews to convert under penalty of death. And some people did convert there, for a lot of different reasons. There were definitely people who converted because of fear for their lives. They had really no other option. There were probably people who converted because of a sincerely held religious belief. But these recent converts who were known as conversos were viewed with extreme suspicion. A lot of people assumed that they weren't really Catholic, that they were still being Jewish in secret, that they were only saying that they were Catholic so that they would not be killed. And these people became known as crypto-Jews. And so a big part of the Inquisition was to seek out these supposed crypto-Jews. And it also morphed into more broadly seeking out heresy, but a lot of the people who were questioned and tortured by the Inquisition were recently converted Jewish people. After Spain's Jews and Muslims had been either driven out of the country, killed, or forced to convert, the Inquisition's attention turned more to Protestants after the Protestant Reformation. During its centuries of existence, the Spanish Inquisition became synonymous with murder, torture, and general brutality. Inquisitors would arrive in a town and give people an opportunity to confess and receive punishment. 
The people who were accused but didn't just immediately confess instead of facing a punishment, which might be something like a pilgrimage, instead faced torture and execution. These people who were sentenced faced an auto de fe, which was a public ceremony where they received their sentence. And these became a public spectacle, the way people would go to watch executions. In the early 1800s, though, the Inquisition's power started to wane as Spain's government became more secular and less explicitly Catholic. Then the Inquisition went through several cycles of being suppressed and then restored again before the Tribunal of the Holy Office of the Inquisition was permanently disbanded on July 15th of 1834. Over its centuries of existence, well over 100,000 people were tried at the hands of the Spanish Inquisition, and thousands of them were executed. You can learn more about the Spanish Inquisition in the January 14th, 2009 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. You can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, we will have an investigative journalist whose work fought against racism, sexism, and violence. What's up, everyone? Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was July 15th, 1864. Maggie Lena Walker was born in Richmond, Virginia to Elizabeth Draper Mitchell and Eccles Cuthbert. Walker would become the first woman in the U.S. to charter and become president of a bank. Maggie was born in the beginning of the Reconstruction era, a year after U.S. President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. During this period, laws known as Black Codes were being passed to restrict Black people's liberties and keep them in poverty. Lynchings and segregation were on the rise. But there were strides in Black education and political engagement. Maggie's mother, Elizabeth, was a formerly enslaved assistant cook for Elizabeth Van Lu, a Union spy and abolitionist. Maggie's father, Eccles, was an Irish-American whom Elizabeth had met on the Van Lu estate. Eccles and Elizabeth never married, though. Elizabeth married William Mitchell, who was a butler and writer. In 1876, William's body was found in a river. Though his death was ruled a suicide, Maggie believed he was murdered. Once he died, Maggie began working to help her mom out financially. Her mom had a laundry business, and Maggie did laundry and delivered clothes. She was socially aware as a child, realizing the disparities between Black and white people. When she was 14 years old, she joined the Independent Order of St. Luke's, a Black organization that helped the sick and elderly in Richmond. Maggie went to the Lancaster School and Richmond Colored Normal School. And once she graduated, she began teaching in the public school system. Once she married her husband, Armstead Walker Jr., she was required to stop teaching. Marriage bars, which were the practice of firing married women or not hiring married women, were not unusual in the teaching industry at the time. Anyway, Walker continued to be active in the Independent Order of St. Luke's, or IOSL. The organization provided members with disability benefits and death claims. Walker grew the IOSL's treasury so that premiums cost less and death claims were paid promptly. In 1895, she co-founded the organization's juvenile department, which taught Black children financial responsibility and work ethics and gave them leadership opportunities. 
Four years later, Walker became the right-worthy Grand Secretary of the IOSL, a position she held until she died. The organization was struggling with growing its members and was in debt. Maggie grew its membership from a few thousand people to more than 100,000 in 24 states. She also made it a point to hire Black women and donate to Black schools for girls, encouraging more professional opportunities for girls and women. And in August of 1901, she called for the creation of a Black bank, saying, quote, Let us put our monies together. Let us use our monies. Let us put our money out at usury among ourselves and reap the benefit ourselves. Let us have a bank that will take the nickels and turn them into dollars. There were about 20 Black banks in the U.S. at the time. Some, but not all, white-owned banks took deposits from Black customers. White bankers often refused to give loans to Black people, and when they did, they were often charged high interest rates. Besides that, white bankers and managers feared white people's perception of Black people using their banks. Walker encouraged people to use Black-owned banks to keep money in the community. In 1902, she began publishing the St. Luke Herald to encourage Black people in Richmond to start their own institutions. And in November of 1903, after studying other banks in Richmond, she founded the St. Luke Penny Savings Bank to encourage savings and facilitate loans. By 1906, savings deposits had reached about $170,000. By 1920, the bank had financed more than 600 home loans. And by 1924, the bank had more than 50,000 members. Walker later had to merge the bank with others, but it operated as a Black-owned institution until 2005. Walker also opened a department store called St. Luke's Emporium, but she had to close it when white businesses opposed it and Black people did not shop there as much as she had expected. Besides her banking and community-building endeavors, Walker ran for superintendent of public instruction in 1921, though she lost. She also fought for women's suffrage and the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which prohibits the government from denying the right to vote on the basis of sex. From 1905 to 1934, Walker lived in a Victorian townhouse in an elite Black neighborhood in Jim Crow, Richmond. She had diabetes, and in her later years, she used a wheelchair. She died from complications of diabetes in 1934. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. We'd love it if you left us a comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C podcast. We'll see you here in the same place tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.